Good morning, my name is Jennifer Zilstra. I am the director of children's ministry here. Um, this morning as I'm speaking, you're gonna see some pictures scrolling through on the screen. And it may look like all we do in our children's ministry here is have fun. It's true, we do have fun. There's no reason why teaching the word of God has to be boring. We make it a lot of fun here at GPAC. This morning's theme in the service is let the children come. And so as part of that, they have asked me as the director of children's ministry just to come share a little bit about our heart and our vision for the children at GPAC. So this year, my team and I, we rewrote the purpose statement for uh, GPAC Kids. And I'm going to read it out to you. It is. It is our purpose to partner with parents in laying a biblical foundation leading to a transformational relationship with God. I'm going to read it one more time. It is our purpose to partner with parents in laying a biblical foundation that leads to a transformational relationship with God. So my job is to partner with you. And so I come to you this morning not as your pastor, but as your children's pastor. And if I'm going to partner with you in this task, I want you to hear our heart for, our, for your kids. Research tells us that the number one influencer of children is their parents, moms and dads. I know so often my kids have come home and they have, you know, they'll come home with a little characteristic or mannerism or something that they say and I'm like, where did they get that from? It's not me. And I think that they're picking up more from their friends than they pick up from their parents. But research doesn't bear that out. It's actually mom and dad. In the children's wing, we get maybe 26 to 40 hours a week, or sorry, a year, wow, that would be a lot, 26 to 40 hours a year with your, with your children. Moms and dads, take away the hours they sleep, take away the hours they're at school, you get 3,000 still. And so I recognize that our role in this partnership is small. By the way, do you know who number two is? It's the grandparents. Grandparents, did you know you have that much influence? Research tells us that the number two influencer of children is their grandparents. So what does faith training of children look like? Well, there's a few different ways, and I'm gonna, I have a few different words. Let's start with F to just kind of give us some ways that faith training looks like in children. Our first F word, oh, that doesn't sound good. The first word that starts with F is fluid faith training. Fluid faith training in Deuteronomy 6. Um, and Pastor Anthony is going to share a lot more about this afterwards. Um, but this is just the talking about God in and out of throughout our day. You know, oh, the sky is blue today. Thank you, God. That's so beautiful. And, you know, oh, you want to spend that with your money? Well, do you think that's what God wants you to do? It's just that those conversations that are happening all day long. That's fluid faith training. That's a parent's job. The second is what we call functional faith training. And this is... How do I live my life in front of my kids? Do my act, what are my actions telling my kids? They say that more of what kids learn is caught than what is taught. 
And I know this, for example, with my kids is, um, we used to you know, tell the kids, you can't say shut up. That's a, that's a swear word. And well, we didn't, I didn't say that, but you know, they would hear their friends and oh, they said shut up. You know? um, and then one day I caught one of my kids saying it and I said, no, we don't say that. Well, you do. Oh, so they, they catch more of what our actions do than, than what our words say sometimes. So that's functional faith training. And the third is formal faith training. And this is the reading their Bible, praying, coming to church, and serving in the church. These are the formal aspects of faith training. And um, this is where we come in as as children's ministry, is we want to partner with you in the formal training of your children. By the way, did you know I just listed the top four things we can do to influence our child's faith? Let me say those again. Reading the Bible, praying, going to church, and serving in the church. These are the top four things we can do with our kids to raise them to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. So how do we want to partner with you? This last year, we started parenting classes, and we did that because we realized that we can have more impact by supporting and helping you than necessarily going straight to the children. As well, this brings in the second part of that vision statement that I read to you. We want to partner with parents in laying a biblical foundation. How do we do that? We teach the word. We center our message every Sunday in GPAC Kids on the Word of God and its relevance to their lives. From age four on, we are teaching from Genesis to Revelation every single year. Why do we do that? Because 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We want to equip the kids, so we give them the word of God. Children so easily also take the word of God and they apply it to their lives. Michelle Trudell uh, used to be our preschool ministry director here, and uh, she was, uh, uh, she's moved to Sydney, Australia, and uh, one day she had um, her two twins, her twins, three years old, with her, um, and they were going to take the subway train in Australia, and... Um, so she stepped onto the subway, hold onto the train with one of her children and thinking the other one's behind her. And the door shuts and she looks out the window and there's her three-year-old son standing on the platform and the train takes off. Well, you can just imagine, I think any parent here would just, the, the panic she must have felt. You can't stop the train. So she had to take that train down to the next station, wait until the next train came to bring her back to where her son was. Mom is crying, panicking, scared. Um, I don't know how long that wait was, but she stepped off that train crying. And there she sees her son sitting there calmly with subway staff sitting with him. And she says to him, Kai, were you scared? No, I wasn't scared. I was brave, just like Daniel, because I knew God was with me. That's the word of God in the lives of young children. So we preach the word at GPAC Kids. We have memory verse 
challenges every month for this reason. And so, and I'm shameless plug, this month's is Psalm 23. So why don't you all work with us together on memorizing Psalm 23? Why do we do memory verses? Because man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. I know all of you as parents, you're putting food in front of your children every day. The word says that we need to put God's food in front of our children every day so that they may live. This summer, we had the opportunity, and we're going to say opportunity. This pandemic allowed us an opportunity uh, to do something different, day camp to go. And we ended up having um, about 150 packets go out to different families who decided to make discipleship a priority. And they um, did day camp in their homes with their kids and their kids' friends. And it was just so great to see people do this. If you go to our uh, website, gpack.life, we have stuff on there every week for your children, videos for them to watch. Today there's a family discussion guide for after the service. All kinds of things that we want to do just to support you in equipping your children. I know many families are not attending right now that you're um, in, in person, but you're attending at home. And so again, we want to ask, how can we support you at home in the best way? The last part of our GPAC Kids vision statement is, we do all this, we partner with parents, we lay a biblical foundation. Why? To lead children into a transformational relationship with God. Do you ever see the roses on the stage and say, it's just a child? Do you know that the majority of people that come to faith, come to faith as a child. We're told that what a person believes at age 14 is likely what they're going to die believing. We as a church need to have a sense of urgency for the children. Children that make a decision for Christ are transformed, the same as you and me. Children are capable of digesting spiritual meat. I've I, I know this from teaching Sunday school where I'll have an eight-year-old ask me a question and I think, like, I think I'd have to go to a theological textbook to be able to answer this. Or the things that they say that all of a sudden just put you in your place and you realize you've just heard from God through the mouth of a child. God gives God-sized tasks to transform children. We have a story about that in the Bible in 1 Samuel, 3 verse, 1 Samuel 3. And in the very first verse of that story says, In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. And it's under these circumstances that we read the story of a boy laying down at night, hearing God's voice. Samuel, Samuel, he goes to Eli and says, Are you calling me? Eventually figures out it's God that's speaking to him. And God asks this young boy to prophesy to the priest. I know my own kids have often um, been that in my life, where I have seen them do God-sized things, and I think, could I even do that? I don't know if I could do that. Uh, we were um, catching a flight one, one day, and it was one of those early morning flights where you walk into the airport at 6 a.m., and 
we're all kind of bleary-eyed, and, you know, first thing you do is you look on the screen, and, oh, our flight is postponed. Well, we could have stayed in bed an extra hour or two. That would be nice. Well, as the day goes on, this flight is postponed again and again and again, and we're sitting in the airport for eight, nine hours, and we're here in the waiting area, and people are tense, and people are angry, and the mood is is unpleasant and starting to get people are belligerent to the flight attendants and um, my daughter she looks at me and she says I, I think I should pray I was like yeah that's a good thing to do you should pray no mom I think I should pray out loud and I don't know if I said this or if I just thought it but I thought well I'm pretty sure God will hear you if you speak quietly <laughs> a few minutes later she says to me again and this time she's, she has the look of stress on her face, maybe a little bit of panic. And she says, Mom, God is asking me to pray right now out loud. Okay. And just in that moment, she stood up and she turns her face towards that entire crowd of people and says, I think we should pray. And she starts praying. God, I just pray that you would help that that plane to be repaired. God, I pray that there will be peace in this room and patience as we wait. God, I pray that you will help our flight plans to work out later in the day. Amen. And she sits down and she's got her back to the crowd again. Tears rolling down her face. God gives God-sized tasks to children. Do we welcome their gifts in this place? Psalm 145, verse 4 says, One generation commends your work to another. They tell of your mighty acts. That's for all of us. One generation to another. It's not just parents. It's not just the church in the children's wing. It's all of us have a responsibility to commend God's works to the next generation. We are privileged uh, to be part of that journey with you and to be called by God to serve the smallest in Jesus' name. Thank you for allowing us to partner with you. Um, Pastor Anthony is going to come and share right now more about your side of that partnership. God bless you. Don't worry, I was going to take it off. But my first point starts with the letter M, and it has to do with Mass. And it's a little bit before the message. Um, I, I felt as pastor I needed to say something because uh, Mass have become unbelievably polarized. And I know what they stand for for both different camps and those in between. But I just want to say to you something. Jason Kenny this week, he, he stated it publicly, our premier, and he said, Masks are not about us, it's about others. And I thought, has he been reading his Bible? And uh, that would be nice, and I can't say whether he was or not. But we need to understand honestly that it doesn't matter which side you're on, read Romans 14, and then come talk to me. That's the weaker brother passage. And whether you're the one that thinks this is all a hoax, and masks are the epitome of the hoax, and it's all about control, and I have my rights and I will not have them violated, or you're on the other side and you're going, it's just a mask, what's the big deal, I'll put it on, or maybe you're even afraid. Can I just ask us to all ratchet it down a bit?
And I will say, it's just a mask. And I will put mine on. Oh, by the way, I was sitting on the front pew and I was thinking, you know, it'd be really cool if we, by the way, mine has Volkswagen vans on it. I even bought a Volkswagen shirt for it, but my wife didn't put it out this morning and I forgot about it. It was upside down. But I was thinking about the mask and I thought, okay, they're going to make us wear them. And I believe within a few weeks we probably will be legislated. And uh, we're not going to force you, by the way, to wear a mask. But I thought, why don't you wear a mask and say, and get words on it that says, uh, Jesus has the answer, ask me. I mean, that would be like, yeah, the, if you're one of those, this is a conspiracy, use the conspiracy stuff to actually get the gospel out there. Nobody can stop us from doing that. But let's be kind to each other. Whether you think you're the strong brother, the weaker brother, let's just be kind. Let's be loving. Let's be caring. And we as a church, we are following the guidelines of the government. And if we can socially distance, we don't force mass. And when we're singing, which isn't recommended by our government, but it's not out loud, we've just asked that you wear a mask. Now, you want all the science behind it, doesn't matter. Let's just be gracious. Let's walk ahead. Just for the record, I know four families that have come to church and won't come anymore because nobody was wearing masks. Now read Romans 14 and tell me what you think of that. I would call them possibly the weaker brother and uh, we're the stronger ones and we believe in liberty. We shouldn't have to. This is all a hoax. But what about those that are in fear? Or what about those that just say, you know, we should be obeying the government. Let's not take our liberty and our freedom and walk all over other people, hey? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we now go to your word and we think more of the scriptures and what they teach about children, oh God, help us to understand and realize that you, Jesus, children were the very most important thing. They were, the, they were really literally number one in the kingdom. And uh, God, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you will open up our hearts to that. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. And for the record, I think I liked uh, what Jennifer had to share better than my message. And I sat on the front view going, man, that was good. I don't know if I want to say anymore. And uh, Jennifer did an incredible, excellent job. Oh, see, they put this thing here and I started using it. Get away from me, Satan. So I was, uh, I, I, my, my wife's dad passed away and uh, we were down in Abbotsford and I got to visit my five-year-old daughter, Evie. And I was pushing her on a swing and her daughter, June, was in her three-year-old talk, was trying to explain to me about bees and how bees sting you and she got stung by a bee. And, and I said, yeah, you know, God's given bees stingers to protect themselves. And I was trying to, you know, make this as a grandparent teaching moment. Evie looks at me, and she said, Pop, she said, when bees sting you, it's because they have sin in their heart. <laughs> and I, I mean, I wasn't going to correct her, right? I'm going, wow, you know, probably true. They probably were fearful and uh, could have been sin. I don't know. But uh, I, I went there. Like Jennifer, I go, wow. And I told my daughter Kylie and her husband Ian, they're going, well, we didn't teach her that. And I thought, well, somewhere she picked it up that there's sin in her heart and it causes us to do things. I have just uh, four very quick points and I want to get over them quickly. But as we look in our Bibles, and please turn to Matthew 18, this is a passage Jennifer mentioned. And it's a warning about ignoring children. And I want you to hear the passage. It pretty much preaches itself. 
But Matthew 18, starting at verse 1, now listen to what it says. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, now keep this in mind when he says the following, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's the question. Here comes the answer. He called the little child to him and placed the child among them. He said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, the prominence, the importance of a child and how they think, therefore whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Children usually do not have arrogance and pride and degrees and titles and uh, even this idea of entitlement or this idea of I have my rights. They haven't got there yet. They haven't put on masks. You know, this is my church mask where I keep and I don't use those words like Jennifer almost alluded to. Uh, I come to church and I have that mask on. Children are just who they are. And they're so sweet and they so pure. Verse 5 says, and whoever welcomes, listen to that, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to have entered life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the seat to the hell. Friends, this is talking in context about children. So I ask you, are children important to Jesus? Absolutely. They're absolutely critical. And Jennifer nailed it right on the head that it is the parent's responsibility. It is the parent's responsibility to raise their children. I have a huge concern today. I woke up at three this morning and this statement came into my head and I wanna read it to you. And uh, I'm not going to say it could have been me eating. I did eat pizza yesterday, spicy pizza. But this statement came to me. One of the greatest threats to Christianity is our sinful proclivity for self-preservation. Since the Garden of Eden, we think it's our right to eat from this tree. In contrast... We Christians are taught to humble ourselves in Philippians 2. In fact, it says, behave like Jesus. We are taught to consider others more important than ourselves. This is an antidote to our base sinful nature to always be our own God. Jesus calls us to a higher calling. We are to pick up our cross daily, deny ourselves, and follow him. So my biggest concern in this day and this age, this kind of rising up of individualism and rights, and by the way, and I remember the first time I heard this in Bible college, I was angry. The professor said, did you know Christians have no rights? And I'm like, well, wait a minute, I'm a good Canadian. The individual right, come on, I can think, I can speak, come on, I've got rights. And he said, in Christ, in Jesus, 
He has all the rights to you. Man, you'd never know it the way some of us behave. Friends, children are important. And this sort of individualism, we now outsource everything. We don't fix our own horse anymore or our car. Uh, we don't, uh, sometimes we don't even clean our houses, and that's fine. Um, we don't raise our children anymore. Um, I, I remember my, my wife actually has a daycare degree, and uh, so she worked at a daycare, and she would see kids dropped off at 6 a.m. and picked up at 8 a.m. when the daycare was closed. And then the kids basically would go home and sleep, and so maybe mom and dad had them a little. And I sit there and go like, this sort of, I've got my rights, my individualism, I need to work, I need to make lots of money, this is what I provide for my kids. Friends, your kids need you as parents. And a warning, be careful. If, if your lack of interest, if your selfishness, and I forget which one of those points she made, and the exact words, but it's you're living out your faith in front of them. If it doesn't look much like Christ, I would warn you that a millstone's coming. Point number two. Ooh, I'm running out of time. Point number two. Children are a heritage from God. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, children are a heritage from the Lord. Listen to that. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring are a reward from him. Now here's why. Verse 4. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Now, the imagery there, <coughs> ooh, I coughed and the oat should have done it in my sleep. The imagery there of children being arrows, I mean, it is so deep and so profound. And the truth is, the future is our children. When you're in an old folks' home, what's your arrow gonna be? When we need a new premier in Alberta, what's your arrow gonna be? When you're reaching out to your neighbors, what's your arrow gonna be? Are children important to you? Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed whose man, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Now, I've had lots of studies on this and sermons on this, how many is a quiver full? Um, it's interesting that the birth rate in North America as prosperity's gone up, as individualism's gone up, as the ability to entertain ourselves has gone up, our amount of children we've had have gone down. Now, I will confess, I stopped at two children, and God gave me four children, and so I am so blessed, aren't I? I, I was, it was beautiful, it was wonderful, but I had convinced myself I should only have two children. Now, I will say your quiver full is how many children you have, so just to get you off the hook. But they're a blessing from God. If you haven't got that in your mind, if you're thinking they're a bother, they irritate me, they're always, they're like leeches and they're taking all my sleep away from me and they are doing all that. My hat's off to all you people that have little toddlers that don't know when to sleep and when to wake. But children are a reward. They're like arrows and we should have our quiver full. It is such a blessing. Did you know only one in three Canadian young adults who attend church weekly as a child still do so today? One in three Canadian young adults. Now this is James Penner who said this and he is the lead author of Hemorrhaging Faith, Why, why and When Canadian Young Adults Are Leaving, Staying and Returning to Church. 
Now, when I was in Southland Church in southern Manitoba, one of the things that kind of softened my heart to, I am not a bandwagon guy. I do not jump onto things that everybody else is doing. I think the church just runs after things and runs after other things. And the, the church growth movement hasn't necessarily been good to us. But I was in Southland, and the one state, and I've been able to kind of follow it up and verify it, the pastor there, or the former pastor, he said that when he started pastoring Southland Church, they were losing about 70% of their kids. They'd go off to university and they'd stop attending church. And through the whole process of church renewal, now let me try to explain it in just a real simple nutshell. Church renewal began working on the parents, the adults, getting their hearts right to, with God, getting them in a vibrant two-way street relationship, God, not, not just one that just studied doctrine and, and maybe read some scripture and what are the do's and don'ts in there, but they actually taught people to he, read the scriptures and hear God, uh, to, to understand the visions or the dreams or different things they're having, and having this two-way relationship. And they began to, they did these set-free weekends, Basically, it's Neil Anderson's Seven Steps to Freedom, getting their hearts right, getting the sin cleaned out. So they worked really hard at the parents. Uh, they began to help the parents discover who they were in Christ and the gifts they have and help them to use their gifts in the church. So you can weave that through everything Jennifer said about getting involved in the church and exercising your gifts and how that impacts your children. So they began to do that, and then they partnered with the children, with the parents, with the children, and they got the parents to teach the children everything that the parents had just now understood. And let me tell you, when I was at Southland, if you were to go to their Sunday night prayer summits, which they're not doing right now, but everybody that went to the youth area and met in one of their small groups came away in tears. These teenagers heard from God like never before. Now, you might be going, if you you're, know anything about hearing from God, well, what about heresy? You know, they had taught these kids the scriptures. And they were the kinds of kids that would stand up in an airport and say, I'm going to pray. I had somebody just before the service, I had told them that my father-in-law died. And they said, can I pray for you? That person obviously, I think, was brought up in a really good home. So friends, be careful. The third point, discipline your children. I was actually going to cut this one off because I know this one isn't very popular. And some of you are going, oh, I know, and so the rest of you are going, yeah, but that's because you guys beat us to death. And it's like, I know, it's, it's been tough. So it's one of those polarizing cis, but I thought, no, I, I actually did a little bit of search in the scriptures. Do you know how many times it talks about disciplining children? It's lots. I, I think I came up with 15 or 20 verses that talk about some form or kind of discipline. But here's the rub. Here's the thing. When you hear the word discipline, what do you think of? Well, my daddy had a belt in the closet. That's what I think of. That's not what discipline is. Uh, that can be a little form of it. But discipline is, uh, this is, by the way, I remember hearing this when I was raising children. It was a psychiatrist, and he said, parents often neglect the number one tool to teach discipline to their children. Are you hearing the twist and the change there? I'm not talking about spanking. I'm talking about discipline. And the number one thing he said is, and he gave an example. He said, let's say your child comes late for supper all the time. What do you do usually? They're late for supper. I wonder where they are. You know, they're out walking in the woods, whatever they might be doing. I'm just going to set a plate aside for them. And the psychiatrist, he goes, don't do that. They're late for a meal. They don't eat till morning. And all of us as 
big, kind-hearted parents, because that would be, they would be crying, they'd be hungry, and they might not be able, they might starve to death, and they won't wake up, and it'll be awful, they'll probably stop breathing. So we set a plate aside, and he goes, how many times do you think they'd be late if they didn't get to eat? That's a natural consequence. That's discipline. This is training our children up. Or, or in the things that Jennifer had taught, when you have an, I mean, with me, it's always sunrises and sunsets. When my kids were growing up, I'd literally go, good job, God. And by the way, I wasn't afraid for my kids to see me reading my Bible. They knew when I got up in the morning, I'd be sitting in a chair or someplace. They knew that their mom and I would often take things to the Lord, or sometimes even as a family, we'd pray for things. Now, I remember when I had finished my Bible college training, and it took me an entire year before I got to church. At the very beginning of it, I was praying with my, I think he was a three or four-year-old son, Brian, and every night he would pray that daddy would get a job in a church. I mean, it just became what he prayed for. Now, about six months in, I had stopped praying. I'd given up. I was so discouraged and disappointed. And he kept praying it. And in fact, at one point, I got so frustrated, I didn't know what to do. My rent in my house was doubling, and I gave notice on that, and I didn't know what's happening. And that night, my son prayed again, and I felt so convicted. I prayed with him. And that next day, three churches called me. And I went, oh, God, the faith of a little child. I've been teaching it to him. Oh, don't let my lack of faith rub off on him. So don't just think about spanking. When you're raising children, when you're teaching them disciplines, Proverbs 23, 13, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. Now, we won't get into all the theology of that or what it is. Final point, number four, because I'm running right out of time. Instruct your children. So you need to discipline them. You need to teach them the rudimentaries of life and the skills in life and how to cope and that not everything comes to you just because you want it. But fourthly, instruct them. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, and listen to this first part, especially fathers. I am a teasing father, by the way. My daughter was just telling me about it. Dad, you always tease me, and I hated it. So I love to tease. I'm a teaser. And my granddaughter's and my grandsons, I always tease them. In fact, I think Liam, my oldest grandson, uh, he really dislikes my teasing, and I'm trying to stop it. This is for me, and maybe for some of you fathers, do not exasperate your children. You know, this refers to discipline, too. Sometimes you can be so mean. I remember when Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, and he tells them about the sin in their camp. And then if you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, uh, you got to let up. Uh, the person that you're disciplining, they're despairing even life itself. You're overdoing it. And how often do we discourage our children? And we think, no, we got to hit it home. We got to keep it going. We got to, you know, sometimes a parent, you can say, hey, I was wrong. That was too much. Instead, bring them up, listen to this, in the training and instruction of the Lord. I remember years ago hearing this story. <coughs> oh, God, in the arm. There was a town, and right next to the town was a cliff. And what was happening is the children would go over to the cliff fall off, and many of them would die, and a lot of them would be really injured. So there was a town hall meeting, and they decided they were coming together to try to figure out what to do. And somebody stood up and said, we need to put a fence up. The highest fence we can come out so they never, ever get hurt again. And another person stood up and said, well, wait a minute. What if they come across another cliff? 
Shouldn't we instead just kind of teach them about cliffs so that they never fall off any? Now, what do you think the answer is? I, I would argue it's probably both. So when I was raising my children and instructing them, I had fences. You know, I had curfews. Uh, they had to go to bed at a certain time. Uh, they had to be at meals. I learned that one really quick at certain times, unless they had a good reason. So I had fences. As my children got older, uh, and here, here is why this really became important to me. When, when I went to Bible college, Canadian Bible College in Regina, I noticed that a lot of the kids that grew up in church, they had no self-discipline. I had asked them questions like, what kind of home do you, well, I had lots of rules. And I'd say, well, did you still have curfews till the day you left? And they go, yeah. And I said, and you really haven't learned how to go to bed, have you? You know, when I was in high school, I didn't have a curfew, and so I learned the lesson really quick that if I stayed up till three in the morning, I couldn't get up the next morning. And my mother used it as a teaching opportunity. So when my kids got older, I began to uh, remove the fences and use the teaching moments. And I hope that when my kids went off to Ambrose, which was Canadian Bible College, that they actually had some self-discipline. They actually could get things done. Deuteronomy 6.6 6 says, these commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your, on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And so in my house, even to this day, we have verses usually laying around. Psalm 23 would be a good one right now as a church to put it on your mirror and on your doorpost, on your forehead, on your mask. You could put Psalm 23, just write Psalm 23, ask me. And uh, then you can say it to them because you've memorized it, right? Can you imagine the impact we could have in all that? You see, what the scripture is saying is be intentional. It isn't all about you. Mommy and daddy just need some time alone. Sometimes we do. And I would actually leave my killed kids alone. By the way, I'm one of those parents who could never leave his kids anywhere. I was so paranoid and nervous. And I remember I took them to Fort St. John once, and I left them with strangers. Now, the pastor in the church there verified this couple. My kids still have stories of this couple. They had a hobby farm, and they would make them go to bed and have naps, and we never had them nap because my kids wouldn't nap. So they tell all sorts of stories. But my wife and I took 10 days away, and we went to a retreat center. We got some counseling together as a couple. And we often would do that. We would take time and spend overnight away from the kids, and we would tell them, Mommy and Daddy want to be a solid Mommy and Daddy. So we're doing this, and I know it's hard on you, but this is that sort of living out your faith. You understand that renewed parents that are walking in the faith themselves and Abiding in a two-way relationship with God is super important for your kids to see. So look at your own faith. Look in the mirror. And grandparents, where's your walk at? We as a church have, we're just loading up more and more and more with tools for you as a parent. We're loading up with tools for you as an individual. And uh, we've been going, we have an abide series and a grow series now. And I think we've had about 150 to 200 people in abide and grow going through these materials, and they're good stuff. I didn't write them. Uh, they come from Southland, but they've been really good. And if you want to be in that, it's good for you. It's going to teach you to read your Bible. It's going to teach you how to hear from God. 
It's going to make you a good parent. As you heard from Jennifer, it's our passion to partner with parents. Uh, we want the kids to, and the parents to have this connectedness. Uh, we want parents to understand that children are a treasure. And, and we want you to be equipped so that you actually know what to do and how to pray with your kids. Uh, we desire to partner with you to grow your faith and to help you grow your children's faith. Here's the conclusion, and I'm over time. I'll blame Jennifer, though. I'm over time, and the children's ministry wants me done at 11. But here's the conclusion. If you go to YouTube, GPAC. No, GP Alliance, I forget what it is, on YouTube, Grand Prairie Alliance Church, I think if you search that on YouTube, you'll find our channel, and you'll find uh, parenting videos. Or even if you go to gpac.life and we're in the process of changing that, and I'm all confused as much as you, but we have videos somewhere, someplace. I should have had this all worked out before I start talking about it. We have videos on YouTube, and they're parenting videos, and they're really well done. I just want just take some time as parents, as a couple watching them. You can agree or disagree with it, that's fine. And if you're a grandparent, Sit with your grandchildren and talk to them about why bees sting. And then you might be surprised. They, they got sin in their heart, Pops. That's my name with my grandchildren. They got sin in their heart, Pops. And you'll go, hey, well, let's talk about sin in your hearts. And look at how you can partner with our children's ministry to enhance your parenting. I mean, that's what we, we all of our children's ministry, I happen to know my wife teaches in kindergarten, all of our children's ministry, they have verse, memory verses they send home. They often have worksheets that you can go through with your kids. Uh, and I just, just a little plug out there. Uh, the children's ministry actually did a lot of videos during this COVID time. And uh, I, I was in charge of my wife's channel. And uh, I know that, I think my wife averaged about 30 kids a week. Did you know that during most weeks, she only had four or five people watch the channel? Now, maybe it was 16 kids came together and watched, so I don't know for sure. But I just say, it, to me, it's a little bit of a thermometer going, parents, what are you doing in COVID? You online. What are you doing in COVID? The resources are here. And we want you to use them. We want you to be thriving as an adult in faith. We want your children to be coming up with these incredible, I'm going to pray in a crowd at an airport or, or maybe at their school or with whatever it is because you know what life does. A few times when we stand up, when we get ridiculed, mocked, pretty soon we don't do anything. But may we be people of God. And may we raise our children because they're the most important, aren't they? They're the future. If you're worried about the church and where the church is going, start investing in your kids. Now, God gave me four children, and we invested heavily in them. And I can tell you that all four of them are doing well in the Lord. And my, my oldest son, he just had a really bad experience. One of his best friends died. And just recently, he was near the house where his best friend lived. And I said, how did that? He said, I was devastated. And I said, what did you do? And he said, I prayed. And I listened to God. And I, I talked to my friend through God, and... And, and I feel a little better. And do you want your kids to have that kind of, I mean, I didn't have to say to him now, son, you better, you know, because he'd already been taught that. The fences had been taken away. And, and I would, you know, as I took away the fence, I'd say, so have you read your Bible lately? How's that going? Have you talked to God lately? Now they're gone and grown up. I still might sometimes. I'm a little bit of a meddling father, and 
not only do I tease, but I also try to be, I don't think my kids hate me. Maybe you better ask them. But anyway, let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, children are a blessing. And we love you, God. And I love what our children's ministry, hearing Jennifer and what she had to say, that's incredible. <laughs> she has a plan. Her team is just moving forward. And Lord, my prayer is, and, and I believe we have broken that 70% walking away from the Lord, and I think it started years ago with Greg Mulligan as he began to work with the youth and Colleen Van Newkirk with the kids. And we have continued, God, to move ahead. And my desires, and I know Southland says they're in the single digits of kids that walk away from their faith now. Oh, that's what I long for. Oh, God, give us such a vibrant, vibrant faith. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Let our soul wounds be brought to the front and center and healing happen. And may our kids see us transform because of Jesus. May we be able to testify as grandparents, even as I'm almost turning 60 this coming year, and we can still testify that you're still at work in this guy, in my soul. Oh, God, what a testimony that is to our kids. And oh, God, like the uh, beautiful sister today that said, can I pray with you? May we be grandparents that pray with our kids. May we be grandparents that uh, tell stories of how you've led us in the past and where you're leading us in the future. Oh, God. Oh, God. I, that image of the millstone around my neck terrifies me. And I know you do not motivate out of terror, but you motivate out of love. And I know you love us and welcome us. And if some of us here need some correction in our attitude to our kids, if some of us here as grandparents can say, well, I've been kind of absent, maybe some of us is a good reason. They don't have access to the kids for various reasons. And oh God, but I just pray that you will ratchet up. You will raise up where we are personally with you and that we will look at children instead of hearing them screaming and being a bother and, and uh, keeping us awake at night. Oh, God, let us smile that you've given these gifts. And we need your Holy Spirit for that. I write, when we're tired and exhausted, give the parents, the grandparents, the Holy Spirit. Give them peace. Give them love. And may they be lovingly gentle as they train and discipline their children as they teach him in the things of God. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray these things. Amen. Please stand with me. First Thessalonians 5.23 says it, and it always fits so well. May God himself, you parents, you grandparents, you who maybe aren't parents or grandparents, but you love children. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you. Now, you know what that, that means give you power. That means uh, change your attitude. That means uh, help you be disciplined. May he sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen? Amen. Go in peace.